You're listening to Nightlight. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Nightlight in which you're going to be meeting Robert Katende. Robert is the author of the book that I'm holding here in my hands, A Night Without a Castle. Robert was voted the most influential man in Uganda by the country's leading newspaper, The New Vision. And by way of introduction to Robert and his amazing story that he's going to be sharing with us on the program today, let me read you from the back of the book. Once too poor to afford the rat poison with which he planned to take his own life, Robert's legacy tells an astonishing true story of resilience and hope. His work was made famous in the Disney movie Queen of Katwe, a biographical drama about a 13-year-old girl who became a Ugandan national chess champion under Robert's mentorship. Now readers will get a first-hand account of how it all started and the life of the man behind Fiona Mutesa's world-renowned accomplishments. Well, here to tell his own story on Nightlight is Robert Katendi. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Yeah, you know, it's a, a very long story and uh, all I can say that it's by the grace of God that I'm who I am. And uh, even I see myself as a moving miracle and just because of the way I came into this world, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, having been uh, given birth to, or born by a teen mom, where I kind of see that there were so many chances of me not surviving because, you know, when somebody's still in school and then you conceive. So in most cases, people opt for abortion. Mm-hmm. But I thank God that she really had to stand the ground. And, and it's not an easy experience, I believe. But she stood her ground and I saw myself living, not so easily, through my grandmom's uh, perseverance and sacrifice. I was able, because she couldn't, as my mom, take care of me because she was also a child anyway. Mm -hmm. So the best she did was to dump me to her mother, who is my grandmom, who really fought hard to see that I can survive through those early years. And actually, I started understanding and I thought she was my mom <laughs> until when she had to introduce me to my real mom. So it wasn't a journey of uh, easy go, I would say, it was full of uncertainties, not taking anything for granted, just survival with a grandmother who, by the way, never had a chance to go to school. Mm. She could not even read and write, mm. uh, but she was a very hardworking lady and God blessed her with life. She was called by the Lord uh, early this year, 2020, mm. in February, at the age of 106. Oh, wow. So, reaching that age here in Uganda, where our life expectancy is around 50 years, yes, I call that a miracle as well. Absolute yeah, miracle. She was very, very hardworking. I can't kind of believe really God used that to strengthen her body, her muscles. Mm because she had to work for her survival as well mm. and then survive of us, the grand kids, survive of her own children. So it wasn't an easy journey altogether. But that's how I grew up and then uh, unfortunately I was around seven years when I had to also lose my mom. Mm. So life became even very challenging then where my grand couldn't even afford to 
pay for my tuition, so I ended up with other relatives, relocating from one homestead to another, enduring all the suffering you can ever experience there because mm -hmm. you had to work for your survival wherever you could be. But I'm so grateful that God has used all those experiences to allow me generate positive energy that I can be able to use and be a testimony to the rest of the people going through the same uh, upbringing, the same lifestyle, the mm -hmm. same suffering, that I can be a point of reference, a point of hope, and see how I can help them also thrive and endure the situations. Nightlight. It's always bright when listening to Nightlight. You're listening to Nightlight. So Robert, you grew up as poor as a poor boy can be. Give us an idea of what it's like to grow up as a poor kid in a slum neighborhood in Africa. Yeah, I can possibly relate that to certain scenarios which I can recall in my childhood. Uh, staying with my grandmother, she never owned a house of her own. And... Uh, she could not she could not even have any job where she could be able to possibly rent a meaningful house so in most cases she would put up temporary structures that we would stay in here uh, in Africa we call them huts mm. yeah you could simply get some grass and some uh, pieces of wood trees and then you put in a simple shelter you can stay in for some months so, and then uh, you are in this situation where you don't even have a mattress, you don't have a bed. I remember, I think the first bed she had was, uh, we call them here, permanent beds where you get some pieces of wood and you dig in, in the ground, you make them there stuck and then you put a platform, then you're able to sleep on that. And then you get, you use reeds to kind of weave them all together to form that kind of uh, platform where you can sleep so that you don't sleep on the floor perhaps sometimes to avoid some insects coming in. Uh, not having a mattress, another experience I can recall. I don't know whether people are familiar with what they call spear grass. And uh, it's one of the, uh, the sh which so much as yes, shlub, we find it here new in our country. Uh, spear grass is always a wild plant whereby after bush burning, so it kind of tends to, to spring up again, but it forms uh, more like flowers mm. and those flowers are cut though we used to cut those flowers and then we would put them in a sack to form a cushion that we could use to sleep on mm. so this is the kind of lifestyle we could be in and then at times she had to go to work in people's gardens and then you know you work the whole day uh, digging and then afterwards they can give you food to take home to your mm. to your people so that's how she, and we were very young, I couldn't do a lot of digging, we could mm. sometimes just stay home, or if not, sometimes go with her. But she always preferred that we stay home, because mm. otherwise we would still not be of any help going with her. And then she would dig the whole day, and then they would say, okay, after you, you, you clear your portion, then you'll go and maybe harvest uh, a cassava. Just they give, they give her like a piece of cassava and she can get. And sometimes it was so tricky because you never know how much uh, root tubers are there in the ground. Mm -hmm. So it's like chance if it is having enough, well and good. If not, mm -hmm. you just they give you a selection. You pick what you feel like it will be having enough. So 
it was more like uh, a working, getting what we call maybe hand-to-mouth mm. kind of lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, you don't work, you can't get anything to eat. So, in that kind of lifestyle, you cannot expect education. You cannot expect to. Even when it came to medication, we would basically base on herbal medicine. She was so good in that, by the way. Mm. Yeah, she would go pick those different uh, herbs, and then she could put them together. If you're having malaria, she would get some very bitter herbs, squeeze them, and then give you to drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until you get better. So, how did you come out of that? What put you on the road to become what you later became? Yeah, actually, I sometimes ask myself how this all come, all came together, and I I just see the power of God at work in my life, and uh, how He. I do strongly believe he was behind the scene orchestrating every move, even when I didn't know. <laughs> because uh, you find one, some of the peers I had in my childhood, they never got to school. Mm. But when my grandmother realized that I, she couldn't take me to school, my mother by then was staying in the slums in Kampala. Mm. And uh, she decided to take me to my, gran- to my mom. And she told me, Robert, I think you need to, to go to school. Since your mother is in Kampala, I need to take you there. So we went to the Nakulabi slums, which is one of the slums surrounding the city in Kampala, here in Uganda. And uh, uh, that's when I connected to my mom from the village with my grandmother. So my mom was also trying, she was actually working in the restaurant by then, uh, more like as a waiter and uh, serving people then she could be able to find ways to, to rent she couldn't afford to take me to school because she didn't have the money but she made a special arrangement for my time to start school that she had a private arrangement with a teacher mm. so she had a teacher who was a friend of hers and what she did said oh, can i attach my son to you then you can help him study if i get someone i'll pay you directly it was, uh, I don't know how I can call it, but I think it was uh, uh, a deal, if I can call it a deal, <laughs> that this teacher, like I think some teachers, they were there, they used to do that. Mm. You know, it was a, a, a huge school, but some teachers, especially those who were in charge of classes, had their private kids come in, mm. who were not officially registered by the school. But they would sneak in, mm. attend the classes, because they were the ones managing the lorota and the registrar for their classes. So that's how it all happened. Mm-hmm. So she attached me to this teacher. I never went to the school office. She just figured out how she wore the uniform. And then uh, I, I, I went, I remember even the first day I went to the teacher's home. And I had to go to school with the teacher. And the teacher took me directly to the class. <laughs> and I sat in the class. So that's how I started studying. And uh, that happened for like two years, mm. and then uh, that's when she passed on. Mm-hmm. So my official registration in the school happened when I, when she had, when we, after the funeral, another aunt, she had actually shared with one of uh, the relatives about my well-being because she said all of our other kids I have, they have their par- their fathers, but Robert is having nobody. I don't know how he will be when I on because mm-hmm. she was really struggling with breast cancer mm. and uh, she knew that her time was limited but she was so much having me on her heart 
So this conversation she had with her relative called Jacent, I think is the game changer. Mm. Yeah, that's what God used that uh, after the funeral, Aunt Jacent said, Robert, I had a, a very emotional talk with your mom. Mm. But I, I think she wasn't so much happy seeing you going back to your grandmother. Mm because she knows you would hardly get anything from there. Uh, but I think I can take you on. She had saved some little money in the bank account, and uh, perhaps that would push you for maybe a year in mm -hmm. school. So that's how I make the first step mm -hmm. out from the slums. Mm -hmm. It's never completely dark when you're listening to Nightlight. So your aunt, Jason, who took you in after your mother's death, she was a little bit richer than the rest of the family? Yeah, she was actually. She's, she would be categorized as someone who was in the middle class mm. because she was having a good job. She was working in the bank mm. and uh, she was living in a very decent home, mm -hmm. a fenced with running water, with electricity, <laughs> with a TV. So for me, it was an adventure to reach there. I didn't know people do live like that. Well. And uh, this is the time I remember she took me there that evening. I remember they even served uh, us food. The one thing I'll never forget is uh, the type of food they gave me. And uh, I had to, to look at the type of the food and the spices that had been put in the beef stew. I remember I had to sort out some carrots because I was seeing them for the first time. I didn't know what they were. So carrots. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know what they were. So like I was saying, what am I eating? What are these? And this is sauce. How come there are these other stuff and orange in color? What are they? So like everything is new. Mm. Yeah, and it was a really decent home and I stayed with uh, Aunt Jacent for over seven years. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I know the money got used up actually before even the year elapsed and uh, she really stretched out of her pocket mm. to see how she can push me through primary school mm -hmm. and uh, pushed me even through secondary up to the ordinary level. Mm. Okay, yeah, and uh, it was a huge, a huge, I did, I did work hard but it was still a huge blessing from her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At what point, Robert, did you become aware of your own potential and you decided, in spite of your circumstances, to, to really go for it and try to excel at school and at academics? Uh, when it comes to academics, I'll say that uh, it started right from day one because I got the opportunity to go to school a bit later. So when it comes to age, I was a bit older. I kind of understood almost everything. Mm. Yeah, as much as language was a challenge because uh, our, the, the teaching is done in English mm. and uh, it was uh, not so easy having come from the village and you find that those who are even below you, they are the ones who are teaching you some of the words. So it was a hard learning kind of process, but I did. I was so good in numbers, mm. at least I would do that and I gained that confidence, I think, when I was almost, which you would refer to as grade six. Mm. That's when I realized that I think I have But I think the first step is uh, I used to depend on others. You know, like you come in the school and you have this inferiority complex mm. because you know your background and then you are in these young ones who can express themselves well and mm -hmm. you feel like you are out of place. But uh, uh, through numbers, I remember I was in grade six and this time I was so much tired of depending on my fellow 
uh, kids on what is the right answer. Even when I knew something was right, I wasn't confident about it. Mm. But this one day I said, no, let me do what I can do. Mm. If I'm getting it wrong, let me get it wrong. I remember it was a math class and that was long division and the teacher gave us 10 numbers. I decided not to consult anyone, mm-hmm. but to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. That day, I think for me, it is the game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my turning point to start to gain that self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Because when I did that, now, that those numbers, 10, I got 9 out of 10. And even the one I failed, it was just a, me- a simple mistake. Mm-hmm. And the teacher really gave me very good mm-hmm. I could not believe that it was me, Robert, <laughs> who had done it all by myself. Because before I could still be knowing the answer, but I still needed to get some people's affirmation that, yes, it is the one. <laughs> then I said, okay, okay. But this time I said, come what may, let me do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, for me, the turning point. Wow. That day, I realized that I can do it. So other things, yes, came in, but when it comes to academics, that was the turning point. But even, uh, I remember the second is when I had to leave my auntie Jacinta's place. She got, like when she retired from her workplace, she said uh, she had to get rid of us who were being supported because she needed to concentrate on her biological kids, and she Mm -hmm. had around six of them. Mm -hmm. So she told me, Robert, if you can find any of your other relatives where you can stay, I will see if I will still be able to stretch for the tuition. Mm. But I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go completely. So the only option I had was to go back to my grandmother. <laughs> and this, and uh, the good thing that my grandmother had also relocated from the village, mm. uh, she was also in the slums. Mm. And uh, by then she was staying in Kasubi slums. So I had to go there. And that's when I said, now, I need to start life. I need to be myself. You're at what age now? I think that was uh, around 16, 15. Mm. Yeah. Around that age. And I said, now I have to start life. I need to make it happen, if it Mm. is to happen. So I started gaining confidence. I started adventuring. I started trying out things. Because I totally knew I was by myself. Mm. And by then, I wasn't so much committed to God. So it was more like survival. Until when I reached, I think it took me two years. And then I became a Christian. And it was through an accident. Because Mm. I thought I could perhaps pursue all I could pursue. But when I got this accident from the soccer field, I used to have my friends at school when I was in secondary and they would do, they would come in because they loved me so much as a soccer player. Mm. Uh, they loved me so much because I used to help them even in class work. Mm. So I had so many friends. Mm. I would survive, and uh, many times I would forget all the struggles I was going through back home. So school was more like my safe haven. And uh, these friends of mine, some of them were in the Scripture Union. Mm. So they would really come and say, Robert, you're so talented, you're so gifted. God has really blessed you. I wish you could use all these giftings for his glory. Mm. I said, oh, yeah. Say, Robert, why don't you give your life to Christ? I said, no, 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 I will when I grow up. So I would always <laughs> reason them out. Cause I, but this one evening when I got a serious uh, accident from the soccer field, mm. when I collided with the goalkeeper, uh, that was my turning point to Christianity mm. because I had never expected that I can ever 
die from a soccer field. Wow. Especially dying from an activity that I enjoyed the most in my life and something which I felt like I could be myself. Mm-hmm. So when it, because I could go in the soccer field and I even I tell my friends, I'm going to score for you two goals. And I, and I score them and I come and celebrate before them. Say, oh, Robert, score for me one more. And then you do it because I, I, re, I used to be very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt like I was, whenever I go to the soccer field, I was always on the top of the world. Because there I would be myself, I would express myself well, I would do whatever I needed with the ball. So then getting almost losing my life from the same thing I liked most mm-hmm. was kind of something which is sh- shocking and I was asking myself, wow. And I remember the most touching questions are when my friends came to see me in the hospital. They told me, Robert, if you're still alive, it's a miracle. What kind of accident was it that was so serious? It was serious to an extent. I used to be very fast because as a center forward and mm-hmm. speed was one of my re- biggest weapon. So I got the ball and I flipped it over the last defender. So the goalkeeper knew he would come and hit the ball before me. So I was also, because of my speed, I knew I would get to the ball before him. So when I reached the ball, I headed it and just within a split of a second, instead he hit my head. And uh, I landed with a head first on the ground. I shattered my jaws and I immediately became unconscious. So uh, the rest of the story there, there I was simply told what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gained my consciousness almost 12 hours later mm. and I was in the hospital. So that is the following day when there wasn't even no school because I remember they told me when they came to the school assembly the following day, the teacher on duty announced that sad news. Mm. So some of my friends started crying. They knew had died. Mm. So that's when the the teacher added on uh, our prominent soccer player. He was injured yesterday and is admitted in Mulago Hospital. Mm. He's in a critical state. There was no school that day. Mm. Most of the children had to come to visit me, mm. but I couldn't talk anyway. But I could hear whatever they were saying. So by the time some of them came, uh, they phoned when I had just come back from the theater. They had sealed all my jaws with wires. Hmm. So, and my friends who were from the scripture union asked me, Robert, if you're still alive, you were a miracle. Mm -hmm. Because yesterday you were picked from the soccer field when you were dead. And uh, then one of them asked me, but Robert, if you had died, where would you have gone? Mm. That was for me a question which was, I think, which changed my life mm-hmm. because I had never ever expected that I can die from a soccer mm-hmm. game. So that's when I decided to give my life to Christ because I realized that I can die anytime. <laughs> so that's when I started on my journey of faith. Yeah. Inspiring you to draw closer to God, you're listening to Nightlight. Like I, I saw myself like it was, I was useless. I was not going to do anything big. But the only step I was looking forward to was my death. And I was saying, if I die, where should I go? I need to be with God. So that's why I chose to take that path. And uh, I remember even when I was discharged from the hospital, 
uh, one of my aunties who had earlier on hesitated from taking me on. She had to come and see how I could really go through the nursing period with my grandmom. But my grandmom had nothing, totally nothing. Meaning that she had always to trek from her place mm. to my grandmom's place. And even the, the house we were in almost was collapsing. <laughs> and we didn't have a mattress, we didn't have... It was so, so horrible. I think this is when she was so touched, mm. she went back and convinced her husband. I, it is going to be hard on me to travel every time. She was actually coming from one end of the city, crossing the city to go the other side of the city because she was also staying almost nearby the slums, but at least in a more decent, because the husband was working, even her, she had a stall. And that's when she requested the husband, can I bring this uh, boy close here so that I can be able to, to nurse him mm-hmm. other than me walking there every morning and every evening. I think that's what really prompted the husband to allow. Mm. So I shifted from the ma- grandma's place then to her place so that I can be healthy. Because remember, the jaw had been sealed. I was feeding through a straw mm. for almost four months. And uh, it was not easy mm. uh, life survive, and I definitely couldn't make it with the grandma. Mm. So I came to stay with this other relative, um, uh, my auntie. Uh, she called Auntie Des, simply so that I, she can be able to take care of me in that kind of mm. situation. But well knowing that if I get better, mm. I have to go back mm. the other side. Yeah, so that's why I started trying to figure out what will happen. But I went through the recovery state. I was getting better every now, but I was also asking myself, when I get healed, what next? Mm. That was the question, what next? And then uh, when I got in a bit better, I could walk, I could sit. I went to Auntie Jacinth and I told her that, uh, is it possible? I had actually missed school for almost uh, one and a half terms. Mm-hmm. And the teachers told me, you need to sit for a whole year to get your head better. Mm. But I told them, no, if I have an opportunity to be in school, I can sit in class. So I went to Auntie Jacinth telling her that I was ready to resume school. This is when she told me she had no money. Mm. And she couldn't support me, so I chose to stay and hang around. But it wasn't an easy life, and uh, I wasn't even so much committed to Christ. I didn't have uh, mentors, I didn't have anyone to nurture me into that, but it was like, how do I go through this day? How do I see tomorrow? So it was a survival kind of life situation until when I had to go to... Until my auntie had a, they had a place... Her husband, uh, they have an ancestral land and they had been given land. So the, the husband had, was building a house there. Mm. And this house was incomplete. When I learned of that, I told my auntie, when I started getting better, because I knew if I don't plan to find something that can do meaningful, I had no other option mm. rather than going back to the grandma where I couldn't do much and there was no chance for school. So I told my auntie, is it okay, since I'm now getting better, can I go to your place where you are constructing a house and uh, I start to do some digging? I'm good at digging, I can do grow some food there so that you can reduce on the expenses of buying food here. Yeah, she thought of it and she thought it was a bright idea. 
she allowed because mm-hmm. I thought I was not schooling, I was doing nothing and so she allowed me, I went, it is a place called Mukono in Seta, so I went there. And uh, the house was incomplete, it had burglars, but there were no window, like no glasses. Mm. So we had to use uh, empty cement bags to blind the windows to try to create a space where I can stay. And I started working there for almost close to, to two months, clearing mm. all the bush, growing uh, corn, growing cassava. Yeah, I did a lot of work, and when they came in, they were so much impressed. Mm-hmm. They even started working diligently to try to fix the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, that made my aunt even more excited because mm-hmm. she saw, like, uh, you know, like as a lady, she was asking, will we ever go and stay in our own house? <laughs> yeah, she didn't know. And uh, then you see that the house, the husband is doing now more work to see that the house can really get mm-hmm. better because there are people now staying in it, making sure that the glasses are put in. And, every, and within almost nine months, they they had to relocate also to come there so that's where i was for the whole year then the auntie Jacinth came in she was also this side as much she didn't have money but she was really looking at my grades and how i was the potential i had then she went to a catholic foundation she had a friend there and told her that i have my sister's son but uh, he's, he used to do very well, but he has no chance for school. Can you, because your Catholic foundation helps orphans, can you help him? Then the friend told her, no, it's not us who do the recruitment. It's the fathers and the sisters who do the recruitment. And it has to be a very, very lengthy process. Mm. We can't add, and I don't think you stand a chance because they no longer do any recruitment. However, let me say as a friend, if I can be able to squeeze any balances from those we support, Mm. I will privately avail you that, then mm. you can maybe help him with that. So that was the whole arrangement. She came for me in Mukono and she took me to Old Kampala, where the brothers were, where that lady used to work as a secretary. And when I reached there, she saw me, we talked, and uh, she said, Robert, I can't promise anything. Your grades are so promising, you have big potential. I can see you've not studied the whole year. But we can't get you in and the sisters will not be able to allow you the brothers are no longer doing any equipment however i will see if i can have any balances i can't guarantee but if i'm able to have any balances on each of the children we are supporting then i will avail that to your auntie to help you out so they eventually helped me with a hundred thousand shillings mm-hmm. by then it was maybe around maybe forty dollars something like that so i needed to look for a school that could do take me in with that amount. Mm. But uh, I was going in in senior high and I was doing sciences. There was hardly any school which would take me with that amount. (laughs) And uh, I tried almost close to five schools and none of them could take me in with that tuition. Until when uh, some, some wisdom came in my mind, I said, why should I use money? Which I don't even have. I chose now not to talk about money. I got my grades. Mm. So I went to another school in Weogere. And I told them I would like to have uh, a place here. Mm. I showed them my grades. And I, I never talked about school fees. So they looked at my grades and asked me, you man, what happened? You did so well in your O-level. First grade, wow. We've never had a student with this kind of performance in our school. Why is that you didn't study last year? 
I told them everything and uh, they said, okay, we are really going to take you in. When do you start? That's when now, after they were convinced with my results, then that's when I asked them, how much do you pay here? And then they told me, I said, oh, sorry, I would really love to join, but I cannot afford that. <laughs> so I went. They said, why? I said, that's why I was unable to start the last year. I got an opportunity, someone has given me this, this is all I have on me. So this registrar was called Mr. Mugisha. He went to the headmaster called Mr. Kawa Elisa Amot. And they talked, I don't know what they talked anyway. After some minutes, he came back and said, the headmaster is allowing to put you in with that amount. <laughs> I said, this is God at work. Now, the school was dominated by students who were in boarding section. We were very few coming from home because those were staying nearby. Now, for me, I had to walk close to seven miles to school. And uh, I said, I will walk because this is a golden opportunity for me. Then when he told me, can you start on Monday? Then I, I told him, but I don't have even uniforms. And it is a must. You must have uniforms, you must have shoes. I, I told him, I don't have any of those. I cannot start immediately. I need to first go look for what I can do to see if I can get them. Then he told me, come and you meet the headmaster. So I went and talked to the headmaster. The headmaster said, I really don't know what, but I feel compelled to help you. That's when they paid for all my other <laughs> requirements. Wow. And then I entered the school. So I was able to pay that amount for the first time. I performed very well. And uh, I took the report to Old Kampala, to the lady who had given me the tuition. I remember when I reached there, she told me, I found the sisters and the brothers. But remember, I wasn't bona fide beneficiary. Mm -hmm. So when she saw me, she had to push me away mm. because she didn't want them to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and me, I, I was a kid, I didn't take it as an issue. But she told me, oh, Robert, go to set house and do this. And I said, what? For what? I said, okay, she's already was helping me. I need to make sure that I can accomplish the task she gives mm -hmm. me. Anyway, the second time, she still gave me the money. And I still did well. Third term, I went back a second time with a report. I didn't find her. She had left the job. Mm. So I had to go back to the school and tell them, money, no more. So it wasn't easy. Then the headmaster had to step in and said, Robert, I think you have performed very well. You are doing so well. Even I had started, started the soccer team. I had started a netball team in the school. On a voluntary basis, mm -hmm. because I was so much appreciating the offer they gave me, mm -hmm. so I tried to do all, like I thought the school was mine. Then they said, they would really help you. In fact, you come in the boarding section. Hmm. So it was, it has been God. So mm -hmm. to be who I am, it's been God. And for my senior high, the only chance I had was to work extremely hard to see that I can qualify for government scholarship mm -hmm. in the university. Because I knew without that, nothing would ever happen for me. Mm -hmm. No one would be opting to pay for me in the university. So I spent sleepless nights during my time working to see that I can enroll for at least qualify for the government mm -hmm. scholarship, which I thank God for that I managed to. It wasn't easy because I remember even doing my final exams with a swollen hand mm -hmm. because I had got a, a, we call it a sprain. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I fell down during the soccer game because I had to play to convince the school because of playing that's how I was paying my tuition mm-hmm. almost to make sure that the school can thrive in sports. And then I ended up hurting myself and the right hand I used to use to write and then I had to write my final exams. It wasn't an easy experience at all because the headmaster even told me, Robert, don't overstrain yourself. What you can do, we will give you a chance. You can wait, you get better, you will sit next year. Mm. I told him, HM, I, um, the headmaster, I have prepared. I've been spending place nights reading my books, preparing for these fine exams. Can you allow me sit? If I fail, then I, I can repeat next year. But I want to give it a try. He said, okay, fine, if you feel you can write, but for sure writing wasn't easy. Mm. It was so, I've never gone through a tough time like I did that time. Mm. Doing sciences, sitting in a class for two and a half hours, writing, then the hand ends up swelling in pain, but you have to write the exams. Yeah, but eventually I did, and uh, I'm so grateful that I was able to qualify for government. That's how I joined the university. Mm. But every, th- every step, it is something. In fact, even when you ask me how did this happen, I cannot explain. That's when I kind of confirm that it's been the power of God working out in all these scenarios. There were so many things working against every step I did. Mm-hmm. But somehow, somewhere, God was seeing me through all these steps. It's nightlife. What a delight. So, Robert, now you've made it to university. But at what point did you start picking an interest in chess? Yeah, chess, actually, I started chess when I was still in my junior high. And uh, it wasn't so much of my big interest. I only came across students who were above my level. They were playing chess. Mm. But they knew me as uh, one of the great performers in class and also as a soccer player in the school. Mm-hmm. So because of soccer, and soccer is something big here in Uganda, <laughs> everyone will know you, all the students mm-hmm. will be at the sidelines singing your name mm-hmm. as you score those goals. So like even those you don't know will always know you. So they all know, knew me anyway. And when I found them, I asked them, I remember I was in, the, uh, we call it Form 2, um, which is maybe sometimes called it Grade 13, but for them they were in Form 4. And then they told me, when I asked them what it was, I asked them, what is that? They told me, ah, this is a game of intellectuals. You go and play your soccer. <laughs> you wear 21 people can chase one thing. You go, 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 go do that. For us here, we, we use brains. We, uh, I said, oh, right. That really hit me so heavily, simply because uh, I had developed nicknames in my class as academic giant, mathematician, mm-hmm. and I was always one of the best performers in class. So I really I had gained that confidence in myself and I was asking myself how come I can be number one in my class and I don't know how to play this game <laughs> of intellectuals. <laughs> so I always used to spare some time from my soccer game to come and learn chess. Not because I was interested, but simply to prove I can play this game. That's why I'm the best in my class as well. <laughs> so every evening I would squeeze some time to come in and simply to learn how does it go. And I remember I think the following day, you know, the first day I saw someone playing a night to a certain square. I said, oh, that one which looks like an animal. <laughs> From there, it goes to that square. Okay. <laughs> then, you know, like I thought I would just look on and cram and see how things done. Then the following day when I came, they 
played the same piece, but this time to a different square. I interjected immediately. I said, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, you played it here. So why are you now playing it somewhere else? <laughs> because I didn't know. <laughs> they said, oh, we told you, Robert, this is a game of intellectuals. You cannot manage it. <laughs> so that's when I dived in. He said, tell me, why is that yesterday you did it here and now you're doing it? So that's when I went in depth of the whole game. But I, I didn't actually play it so competitively, but it was just every time I could get. So for almost two years in my secondary, I was doing that. Then I went to see senior high. I would just play it casually. How do I dive into chess when I reach university? I had qualified as uh, on merit and I got an engineering um, course. Now, in the university, to prove yourself that you are an engineer, you had to play chess. It was the order of the day. And now when it comes to the faculty of science, civil, electrical, and what, they all, we are the genius. So like chess was the order of the day. And when I reached, I said, I know this thing already. (laughs) So it was just, I just dived in. And I really became so serious at chess. I started even representing my faculty in competitions. So by the time I finished my course at the university, I had my own chess board. (laughs) <laughs> so that's actually the chessboard which I launched my ministry with mm-hmm. in the slums. Wow. Yeah. So tell us about um, the ministry in the slums. How did that come about? Yeah, the ministry in the slums, uh, what, uh, the way actually that all evolved, when I was at the university uh, as a soccer player, I had a coach called Coach Alozius. Actually, I was playing. Then uh, there's a, a soccer club that came for me. He was, I think, one of the directors. He used to work with Pep's company. He was called uh, Enoch Musisi. This gentleman really liked the way I used to play. He became my friend. And he was a big man, but he would come and watch us at the university. Then he said, Robert, I would like to start a soccer team. Would you come and be part of it? I said, oh, yeah, I'll be glad, too. I remember even when I was uh, contesting for leadership, he gave me some crates of sodas to use in my campaigns. Mm. So he was a very close friend. He's the, actually, is the man who bought me my first cleats for soccer. Now, uh, what happened is when we went to play for Pepsi, he had also identified other players from other places. And some of those players were from a club, uh, which was called Miracle Football Club. Now, that Miracle Football Club, when they came and we, now we, we team up to play in Pepsi, they really liked the way I was playing. They went back and told their coach, we came across a player. He's studying from Chambogo University. But if we can get him to our club, he's so good. I didn't know. Then they started now sweet-talking me. Robert, why don't you come? Why don't you come and join us? And so <laughs> I didn't know what it takes. I've, I had never played for any club because remember from the injury, the doctors had told me I would never play soccer again. So I was more like even nervous. Will I ever really make it? So I, would, I wouldn't play to my level best as I used to, but still they felt like I was on top of the game. Anyway, one time I told them, I, I, I don't have the time. I said, no, Robert, what you do, give us your two passport size photographs. Then we'll f- make for your license. So they took it to their coach. Then one day I went to them. So that's how I ended up joining their club. Mm-hmm. I realized it was a Christian club. It was playing for a church team. So Miracle Football Club, for it was uh, supported by Pastor Robert Kayanja. So that's how I joined. And then I met this uh, coach, Aloysius. He became more like my father figure because he wasn't focusing on so much of soccer, but more like uh, he was using it as a ministry mm-hmm. as well. 
So that's how I take him as my spiritual father. He really supported me not only just in soccer but in my welfare as well. Mm-hmm. How I was uh, surviving at university for all the years, and then I would come and play matches for his club. So even after university, I tried to look for jobs, but he told me, Robert, you can come and be part of the ministry for the meantime. So that's how I end up in sports ministry. Mm-hmm. So he told me, uh, Robert, we, I would like you to enroll for a course in sports ministry. So he was working with sports outreach. So I was, I would volunteer. Then eventually he told me, Robert, uh, we played for Top TV Football Club and it was able to qualify into the top Premier League in Uganda. That was for Pastor Senyonga. Then he told me, Robert, as much as you've played for this club, I wouldn't really desire that you join that club in the top league. You hang around because Sports Outreach is going to start a Christian soccer team just for ministry work mm-hmm. and using sports. I said, okay, fine. So that's when, because he was my spiritual father, so I would mm-hmm. follow whatever his guide was. Mm-hmm. So he, gui- he guided me on that, and that's how I ended up joining Sports Outreach as a Good News Football Club mm. member. So when I joined, we would play soccer for ministry, we would go in the communities, play game, then maybe half time we would preach the gospel, mm-hmm. or even at the end of the game, we would go and share with the spectators mm-hmm. testimonies and preach the gospel. And then we collaborate with the churches in the local community, and then they take on the new converts. So mm-hmm. we would do that. That mm-hmm. was the ministry setting. And uh, that's how, besides playing for the food for the good news, then we had also to reach out using soccer still to the slums. So he told me, Robert, would you be okay to go to Katwe? So that's how I launched myself in Katwe, with soccer as a ministry tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when I reached Katwe, uh, we were th- four of us from the team. All the rest were okay with soccer, but I realized that not all the kids were interested in soccer. Mm-hmm. So that's how I launched in chess mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. almost like one year. Mm-hmm. of ministry mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't so much welcomed by the leaders of sports outreach because they didn't know what chess was all about and mm-hmm. they told me we had assigned you there to do a ministry program using soccer now you're doing other things mm-hmm. I had to adjust and change to always do soccer mm-hmm. in the official time mm-hmm. then in the private time I would engage with chess because chess would even play up to around 8 9 mm-hmm. p.m. Mm-hmm. no worries we would just sit on a veranda <laughs> anyone's veranda would be, be there mm-hmm. and play until when I had to leave the chessboard with the kids mm-hmm. to be able to train with that. So that's how the whole Assume Chess Academy started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was started just in a simple way like that. It's quite a pleasant night when listening to Nightlight. And how now it's reaching out to even the philosophy being taken to other countries. Robert, what gave you the idea that chess would be something that very poor and uneducated kids in the slums would benefit from or or even want to play? I think there were like three points that really, but it disturbed me. It wasn't like I wasn't like sure that this would work out. Mm. It really disturbed me for almost three weeks. Mm. Should I? I shouldn't. Should I? I shouldn't. But I was asking myself, okay, number one, I knew what chess had to offer. 
because I knew it's a game of planning, it's a game of uh, working through challenges, mm-hmm. game, and, and this is the lifestyle they are living. Mm-hmm. So my intriguing factor is if these kids can figure out on how to survive daily, mm-hmm. then there are things which I needed to teach to do with the strategy, to do with the goal setting mm-hmm. and perseverance, working out to be a problem solver. Mm-hmm. You can't address all those just by talking about them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I can use just, and having gotten the concepts of sports ministry before, so I knew very well how to integrate these mm-hmm. themes into from a sports activity mm-hmm. into a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I knew how to do that. I would take them through an experiential learning process on uh, how they can practice it, how they can reflect on it, what does the Bible talk about it, then how can they apply mm. that concept into mm. their life concepts. And so I knew how to integrate all that, and I felt like you know, I think it just can work. Mm-hmm. Then secondly, the limitation on space, because with soccer you need the mm-hmm. bigger space, mm-hmm. and it wasn't there, because even the space we were using in Kate was a damp pit that we had cleared. Mm-hmm. Now I also figured out that this is more convenient. Then the third one was... I was asking myself, what am I exactly looking for? I'm looking at impacting these lives. So if I can have a platform where I can uh, be able to share, sit and engage with them, Mm. I think that will work. Mm. So I never had an idea that maybe they would go play anywhere or Mm. they would ever become or win any medal. No, the whole issue was, how can I have a platform? Mm-hmm. and use these concepts to impact their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as I did that, it became monotonous. You can come daily, play, mm-hmm. train, go back, talk about life experiences, talk mm-hmm. about testimonies, then go back. After almost one year, and I said, oh, this is monotonous. That's when I had over tournament mm-hmm. for the schools. And I was asking myself, should I register them? But, they, but this is for the schools, and they are not in a school. Mm-hmm. So they cannot take part. So it was like, Mm. They they stand no chance. But eventually I said, but can I really pursue this to the best of my ability to see if they can get a chance to play in this tournament? Because mm. they are kids and it's for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as as it's portrayed in the movie, it wasn't an easy journey. It took me close to four months mm-hmm. to convince the Uganda Chess Federation and the organizers to allow a non-schooling group mm-hmm. to participate in a schooling event. Mm-hmm. It was like, it is never heard of. <laughs> and it can doesn't even make sense to anyone. Mm-hmm. That's why I say it is God Himself. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I persisted, I endured, but it's not easy for someone to mend and break the rules. Mm-hmm. Because how can you? In fact, now, if we have Rodol, uh, Uviri, Namiriango, they are coming in as school names, mm-hmm. entities. Then what school is that? Mm-hmm. In fact, I told, can't we call them children's team? just children's team because they're just kids mm-hmm. in fact i had to reason out with officials are you after developing this game or what these kids have potential they can play well give them an opportunity it wasn't an easy one but i think what was so which i call god's miracle i had to raise the money mm-hmm. because they put for me a hurdle can you be able to meet what it requires for them to register mm-hmm. of course the other, the other teams are paid for by their schools. Mm-hmm. Now for me, I needed to raise the same amount to pay for this group, which they totally knew I didn't have. Mm-hmm. So they set that hurdle for me. And for me, when I saw I said, okay, for sure I don't have the money, so I can't make it. But I said, what if I get the money? Can they allow them in? So I had to pursue the money. <laughs> and when I got the money, I didn't want to reason because I told them, you told me if I get the money, they can get it. Here is your money. 
They even rejected the money. But I think what was so key is that the other schools, as they had anticipated, they didn't turn up. Mm. And as organizers, they needed every coin mm. to help them organize the event. Mm-hmm. Now, having brought the money, and they are in need of the money, <laughs> so that's when they had now to battle it out. Should we allow these kids to come in and we make use of this money or reject this money? Yeah. So I think that's what God used. Yeah. And they said, oh, what, do I, what do we lose? Let them work after they have paid. So that's how we find ourselves in a schooling event, yet we are an unschooling an, an, an group. And how did the team perform? The team performed to, I, I would say, to the surprise of everyone in the tournament. Yeah, no one expected them to perform the way they did because they couldn't write, they couldn't read, but they are busy playing there again. <laughs> they could not even express themselves. They are in this secondary school tournament. They are kids who are meant to be in primary, mm. <laughs> but they are in there. So they really performed very well and everyone was amazed. Mm. Yeah, they really, in fact, even the organizers could not believe how they did perform. I guess the thing about chess is that the kids don't need to be able to read or write or even have much education. It just takes creativity and intelligence and puts these kids on a level playing field with other more educated kids, at least as far as playing chess is concerned. Exactly. I think it's more like uh, creativity, the ideology Mm. developed, and... uh, because when someone makes a move, you ask them why they have made that move. Mm. Then you're able to figure out how do they reason, how do they think, mm. how do they see things, what is the ambition, what is the idea behind all this. So that kind of shows you something bigger than what you mm. may ever see in life or in them doing. Like they may not be in class, they may not even be knowing how to read and write, but that ideology of, okay, if I do this and that and this can happen like this, then they are able to develop an idea and execute it. Mm-hmm. I think that shows you wow. the potential they have. And so from that point on, then you were accepted in every competition after that? Oh, yeah. So, in fact, they started now inviting us. Mm-hmm. Yes, it required resources. It required a lot of money, which we couldn't have. And it was a struggle always, but at least we had already kind of put our mark that there is some potential. And uh, I think four years later, the whole tournaments in Kampala were dominated by the kids from the slums. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> even the Uganda Chess Federation knew that they were the best now in the country. That's how in, um, in 2009, we got an opportunity that when uh, we, Uganda was invited to field a team mm-hmm. of kids in a tournament, international international tournament, the organizer said, if we are to take a team on merit that can represent us well, we need to take the kids in the slums. <laughs> so that's how I get an opportunity to have all my three kids from the slums, Fiona, Benjamin and Ivan, represent Uganda for the first time in Sudan. Like a candle in the night, it's nightlight. Robert, let's talk about the movie now, The Queen of Katwe. How did that come about? What attracted the attention of Disney to what was happening with your chess club in the slums of Katwe? Yeah, uh, basically, I think what uh, led to the movie it is that tournament of going to Sudan. Mm. Because uh, going to Sudan was, I had to go through a lot. People never know. But, you know, this kid is going to, to Sudan. They had to fly. They, have, they had never owned a passport so I needed to go through a process of getting them passports 
I needed to go through the process of discovering when they were born and the guardians didn't even remember so someone could tell you ah I remember that I really like for Fiona's case I remember the mother told me I I remember I gave birth to that child that's the time when we are being harassed on the roads because of the value added tax now I had now to ask okay when was the value added tax introduced in the country then you go now on the internet to check which year did the vat come in Uganda then you are able to track and say oh maybe it was around this time so you just try to get the date of birth then anyway uh, i tried to reach out to some friends basically from the US some of the friends who knew about what i was doing and i told them about what was going on and some of them sent me i remember one of, one of them sent me $50 to try to see if i can pursue the passports and everything had been paid for but i needed to pursue the passports and uh we had to pay for them the Uganda Chess Federation didn't have the money so they told me if your kids can have the travel documents they will represent the country so for me it was like how do i make this happen anyway when they went going to sudan for me it was already a gold medal one no matter how they would perform <laughs> but they end up victors wow. in the tournament and wow. that was it turned everything upside down mm-hmm. i was so excited they were so excited mm-hmm. the whole community was so vibrant because mm-hmm. no one even just going to wodo just a nearby community a rich community to play was big how about flying out of the country mm-hmm. and representing your country holding a national flag so when that happened i wrote a report to send it to some of my friends mm-hmm. on how the performance was and it was so exciting then uh, this one of the the ministries that is sports outreach institute when i sent the report they gave it the report to the man who had given me the 50 dollars mm-hmm. so he read through it he said hmm, can this be true really kids slams international tournament champions how anyway he said this is a big story mm-hmm. then that same evening this way i said god was in this all that same evening this guy had a program of going to a book signing Mm. and he was going to book signing of one of the sports writers who used to write for ESPN magazine but this time he had written about a coach of North Carolina he was staying in Chapel Hill mm. North Carolina but there was a coach who used to so to coach uh, the girls university soccer team and he had i think won almost 14 championships mm-hmm. so he was writing about his biography and oh. all that so he was going to do that book signing So he said maybe I can take this report to this guy since he used to write in the ESPN magazine about sports he might be interested in writing about this mm. so he went there they did the book signing and he said after the book signing I gave him the what the report I said I told him if you're interested in this report here is my business card so the guy put it because he was so much taken up people were signing books and he's so busy then he went back to his home mm. he read through it and then after in fact even before going taking it to him this man said that he read the report as he always okay i've got the information then he trashed it in the can but he remembered he had to go to the book signing he went to the <laughs> to the trash can and picked it out and said maybe i can take it to this guy <laughs> because he, he knew what had happened so it was no of any he needed you know to keep that paper but eventually he said mm, since i'm going in the evening to this book let me pick it out then i can give it to him then the other man also took it he never bothered mm. then all of a sudden say hey, 
somebody gave me something. So he was looking in his business cards as people gave him, and then he saw this paper. He read through it. Then he was about to call him. He said, Troy, I'm reading about this. Is this really true? He said, for sure, I'm not aware. But if you can reach out to this guy, then he can tell you more. I don't know how much of it is true. So that's when I received a phone call. Mm-hmm. And I told him, oh, yeah, it's very, very true. <laughs> then this guy went to ESPN, where I had actually retired, and he presented this report and said, can you sponsor me to go in Uganda and find out about this and see how much of it is true? <laughs> <laughs> so because he is a respected writer in ESPN and he is actually a lecturer in North uh, Carolina to with a sports writer, student son. He went there, so I think ESPN really believed in him. They said, oh, we can, definitely. So that's how he found himself in Uganda. We coordinated everything, and then he came. And reaching in Uganda, he was overwhelmed. Three days in the slums of Katwe, moving through, seeing where the kids came from, or what they, he could not believe what he saw. And he told me, Robert, I was commissioned here to write an article in for ESPN magazine. But what I'm seeing here, it is worth a book. <laughs> so that's all everything started. Then he went back, he wrote the, um, the article. And uh, after writing the article, I think it is even the record holder now. Because before it was Tiger Woods' story, mm-hmm. which was seven pages, ours was nine pages <laughs> in the same magazine. So he wrote the article, and after the article, he used the article to try to look for publishers who could mm-hmm. really get in so that he can write the book. Then after a while, he came back for another three months to do all the interviews. That's how he comes up with the Queen of Country book. Mm-hmm. And ESPN is owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. So not having the magazine in their mm-hmm. business entities, so they were away of the story. So that's when they said, maybe we can do a movie out of this. So that's how everything starts to come together. So that's why I say it is God. Mm-hmm. And some people ask me, Robert, how did Disney come to you? No, they, they didn't come. Like I, 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 no, they told me, Robert, tell us, how did you go to convince Disney? <laughs> I never, they came to me, mm-hmm. which is rare. And mm-hmm. sometimes people ask me, when are you doing another part two? I said, I'm not a movie maker. <laughs> I'm doing my ministry work. <laughs> I'm just fulfilling the calling upon my life. Even the movie issues, uh, by the way, mm-hmm. it's God who knows what he wanted to do using this simple chessboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nightline. Nightline. Robert, tell us about this book that you've written, A Night Without a Castle. Yeah, it is really active. In fact, like the, why I chose to come up with this book, uh, The Night Without a Castle, yes. it's because uh, when people, people have seen the movie, they have embraced it, they really like it. Many people, we receive so many people read who are giving good comments about the movie and how it has really energized them, uh, helped them to generate positive energy. But most of the people don't know how the movie came about. Mm-hmm. So they don't know the genesis of the Queen of Country. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I think I need to share. Yes. So this book, A Night Without a Castle, is more of now what was there before mm-hmm. Queen of Katwe mm-hmm. and a little bit of what is been happening after the Queen of Katwe mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Well, do, do you want to um, go on now and, and just talk about what happened after the Queen of Katwe movie? Yeah, after the Queen of Katwe movie, it was also a great experience in the community. Number one, it took five years to get the movie done. Really? 
people don't know that about that. No. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't an, an easy road. It took five years because uh, Disney had never done such a kind of a movie. Mm. It's one of its kind. There are so much known of fiction, yeah. animations, mm. and all that, and doing a real-life motion mm. picture, it wasn't easy. It was a very sensitive area for them. Mm. In fact, they feared to be challenged mm. because, like you were saying, a true story, then how do you, because you know you have a trademark of these mm. fiction things, now how do you make it real? Mm. So this is which uh, this is what actually prompted them to even make a decision of shooting it on location mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to ensure that they can keep everything as intact as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a long journey, but somehow we worked through it, and they said, "Oh, we'd like to share this story." For me, we had nothing to lose mm-hmm. if we, it could be shared. God chose to use this platform to glorify His mm-hmm. name. So we are looking forward to see if they can share it or not. It took all that time because for us, like, if you do it, you can do it. If you don't, it's up to you. They said, okay, we've never invested in this. We're not sure we can make money. We are a business entity, but let us risk and mm-hmm. put in the money in case we are able to get it back. Then we'll talk about the proceeds. Unfortunately, I believe they have not yet been able to raise it all back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, according to what I've had as reports, but because I think they re- they injected close to fifteen million dollars, oh. and I think they were able to realize so far maybe ten mm. point something. So, but they are hopeful that perhaps maybe through DVDs, because it's a life story. It's mm-hmm. not so much of chess talks about life, and he, perhaps they will be able to do it. But uh, after that, it opened up some doors for us. Mm. It brought awareness. People got to know about what we do in the slums. And uh, it kind of helped two of my students, that is Fiona and Benjamin, both portrayed in the movie, to even get a tuition scholarship from U.S. Mm. So it's because of the movie. Yes, I'm struggling to raise money through the Robert Katende Initiative to see that we can, I can keep them there. They are now in their third year, mm-hmm. which is not easy, like especially this time during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't come back as they were right, doing right. years before. I had to figure out where are they going to spend the summer time? Because by the time they finish the exams, mm. all planes had been closed. So they couldn't make it back. And they have just started last month in August, their other year, uh, which is the third year. But I have to raise the other requirements, the mm. board, the meals, which is not easy. Even getting them in the school, I had to open up a, a, a page, a GoFundMe page. Mm. Because we don't have uh, resources. I, that's when I started the Robert Catani Initiative as a, an, a non-profit registered in the U.S. as a 5031 to make sure that we can be able to raise support through mm. friends, through well-wishers who are ready to support this ministry to thrive. But right now, in fact, I was chatting with uh, Benjamin. He sent me an email and I need to raise $20,000 mm. for his semester because he's doing biology major. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not easy, but you can see coming from the slums, he's a kid I've been with f- mm. from eight years is now in the university. He's been mm-hmm. a guild president of uh, Northwest University mm-hmm. in Kirkland in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine from almost zero, from nowhere, and God is taking you all this wow. far. So yes, it's not an easy road to walk. Sometimes I spend sleepless nights. You see now I'm putting on specs. I use not to, but because of the headaches, mm-hmm. because you, you strain yourself, you stress so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what I had almost when they got a tuition scholarship in 2017, 
that's when I developed the headaches. They really mm-hmm. disturbed me for two years. Because the whole issue, like every time you would sleep, but you are not sleeping, you are asking yourself, how do I make it? You see, it is a golden opportunity. Tuition scholarship, it's like someone has paid for you almost $40,000. Mm-hmm. But can you raise the $15,000 mm-hmm. every, t- every semester for each of them? Mm-hmm. It's not easy. So it's, it's something so challenging, but uh, under the grace of God, through some well-wishers, people were able to go maybe on our website and they are able to make some donations, $20. So you keep on and then you talk to the school, reach out to friends to see if they can pursue it and be able to go through. But it's been a blessing because whenever they have come back, it's a great inspiration for the rest of the kids this mm-hmm. side. Right. They lead or whenever they have been coming back the whole summertime, they're the ones teaching. Mm-hmm. And all the children in the slums are waiting to hear from them <laughs> what they have been able to learn. And even... Uh, in us in Katwe, we have now acquired a bigger place. We are dreaming of building a, a chess club mm. house, which is stored to do with vocational skilling as mm-hmm. well, do computing, do cosmetology, do fashion and design, so that these kids can have at least a hands-on skill to mm-hmm. help them survive and be able to get something to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, through the education fund, we are supporting them in education. Mm-hmm. But it's not easy, especially now with the pandemic hitting mm-hmm. in, we don't know how we are going to survive because even just maintaining the instructors <coughs> is very hard, mm-hmm. very, very hard. So yesterday I was in the garden. I told him, guys, let's go and try to do plant some beans because we do a feeding program, but uh, we, have, we have no funding now. How will we be able to sustain that? Mm-hmm. Let us try to see if we can be able to grow some food. Mm-hmm. So in case anything happens, in case any miracle occurs, any blessing comes in, it will simply supplement on the little we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so work has continued. We have several <coughs> several learners uh, right now. The whole program, I think, has impacted close to twenty thousand kids now. Wow! We have programs in all the seven slums now in Kampala, mm. Katwe, Chivuli, Natete, Waise, wow. uh, Kawempe. We have a program in Chihuahua. Then even uh, across, we have in Jinja, we have in Budaka, we have in mm. Guru, we have in Hoima. We have in Kagadi, we have in Masaka, and they are all they have all been running since up to uh, they have been running up to March, mm. when the pandemic hit in. That's when they came to a close. Mm. We hope to resume soon as things get better. Mm-hmm. But now maintaining the instructors whom we've been because the instructors these are the pioneers portrayed mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who have been going to all these communities mm-hmm. to do the teaching. Yeah, we have also started a program in uh, Baltimore in US. Uh, we are still we are doing a, a very great ch- some chess academy program there under the Robert Cutting Initiative through our partners uh, Sydney and Vedinta. <coughs> Sydney had to come <coughs> had to come to Uganda with his son to learn how we use chess for ministry work, mm. and he has gone back to the U.S. and doing it for the inner city kids that side. Yeah. And uh, during this pandemic, I've been we've been conducting sessions online via mm. Zoom. Mm. I've uh, been teaching and trying to see where there is another program called Boardroom where we've been partnering with them to teach close to 26 kids whom we hope maybe if the situation gets better they can also come and visit and see what goes on here on the ground and then you can go and help out their people in the community there. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. So Robert, how's it going now? Do you have any more champions? 
Yeah, we've really had so many, so many champions, and uh, actually Fiona is not like maybe the top, but maybe the girls, yes. Mm. But we've had uh, five national champions from our program. In fact, sometimes some of the journalists come and say, tell us your formula. <laughs> and it's like, there's no magic here at Storyville. But they just come up to try out their level best. We have, uh, uh, right now I can say we have seven clubs. We've registered seven. I have close to 70 children who are playing in the top national league wow. of the country. And these clubs are, Katwe, we have Katwe, we have, uh, we call them Som Katwe because mm. that's for Southridge Ministry. Some Katwe, some Chihuahu, some Wai, because we have all these centers mm-hmm. running test programs. And for me to give uh, a chance to the children to be able to practice and try to try out their talent, I had to find a way of getting them an opportunity to play in. So that's why we had to field in many. Mm-hmm. And each club re- registers 10 mm-hmm. players, of which four are girls, then six are boys. Mm-hmm. Then they have to play in each and they play the whole national league mm. and uh, it's really expensive because you have to register for them you have to transport them mm. you have to feed them and they these are coming from slums they mm. don't have to pay so you have to foot everything then getting them uniforms it becomes really expensive but it's worth it mm. because to give them an opportunity not to win but to manage the environment mm. the atmosphere connecting with those people the learning lessons are all embedded in there mm. Then we have the international events that mm-hmm. I have participated in. I have uh, players like Bavidye, uh, Benjamin, we have uh, Richard. They have all represented the country in international mm-hmm. tournaments. Uh, then we have, uh, I have a special team, which uh, I know people call them disabled, but I chose to call them differently abled. Mm-hmm. These are all kids who are physically challenged, mm-hmm. and they are playing in the top national league. Wow. Actually, for two years, they have been representing the country. Last year, 2019, they were playing from New Jersey, mm. and they went for the junior international tournament, and they won silver medal. They were wow. challenged by Russia, but they were able to at least challenge all other countries, and they got a silver medal. Wow. But these are kids in wheelchairs, and you know, traveling with a, mm-hmm. a kid in a wheelchair, <laughs> and going all the way, all those miles to U.S., of course, I'm so happy that people prioritize, uh, even planes prioritize them as mm. we travel, but it's not an easy thing. You mm. have to bathe them, you have to do that. But I started this program in Kampala, mm. and it's really running. It has over 30 kids with physical disability. Wow. Yeah. But their chess has become a neutralizer because before they would never have expected that they would ever engage with their fellow kids. Yeah. Yeah. And even in the National Top League where they play, Mm. They play with able-bodied people, mm-hmm. not among themselves. Mm-hmm. And they are really so much thriving. It has really brought life to them. Before mm-hmm. they could not have expected that they would ever do anything. Yes. They could not run around with their peers. But right now they can even instruct. And then able-bodied people come and say, Hey, uh, what's wrong? Hey, John, can you help me? How, how do you analyze this situation? Can you, which move would we play here? And they say, someone asking me what to do. They used to see me as a beggar, as a destitute. Now mm. they are coming to me as a resource person. Wow. So this has totally changed their lives. I've seen, I remember the first time I had to take them to U.S., we went to Chicago, uh, Northland Church helped us to see that I can get the air tickets for them to go. And uh, that's the time when the relatives who had deserted them came back. One of the boys had been abandoned and he was being taken up by an, uh, a center, a missionary center. 
and when I trained him how to play chess, three years down the road, he was representing his country mm-hmm. in the and the world juniors for the disabled people. And when he went, these all relatives who had deserted him could not believe that it is the child who is actually representing the country. They were seeing him on TV, on interviews. They all came back now claiming he's their child. (laughs) And for him, I actually, I told him, please embrace them because you need the family. And now, even when we came back from the U.S., they all desired to hear what he had to say. Mm-hmm. What did he experience? What was, wh- how does U.S. look like? <laughs> and all of this, like, it has given them a sense of belonging. Yes, yes. They have been, like, it has neutralized how people have been mm-hmm. looking at disability before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of stigma is now being neutralized mm-hmm. because they are able, even those who would really uh, look them like they are nothing, they are they can find them on a chair, and some able-bodied people can't even play chess. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to an extent that these kids, some of them, they are so weak, their limbs are so weak that they cannot even make a move by themselves. Mm-hmm. They simply sit there, and then they work through assistance. Mm-hmm. They are the ones playing and say, hey, coach, move for me, uh, my knight to F3. Mm-hmm. And then you make them move for him. He's mm-hmm. the one playing, you are simply, simply <laughs> assisting. And that was a game changer, because even when they have to fly, they have to go with assistants who are who would have never expected to even visit another country. Mm. Somehow, somewhere, they find themselves going because of this person in the wheelchair. Yes. So this is the power of God at work. I no. cannot take credit for it at all. Nightlight's interview of the week has been with Robert. And let me put a plug in here for Robert's book, A Night Without a Castle, A Story of Resilience and Hope. It's beautifully written and also includes numerous chess strategies, life lessons, and nuggets of wisdom. I highly recommend it. And you can find it on Amazon and Kindle eBooks. There's also an audiobook version. Just search for A Night Without a Castle by Robert Katende. And if you're here in Uganda, you'll find it in all the major bookstores. Robert, thanks so much for all you shared. We'll continue to follow the progress of your ministry with great interest and our prayers. Before we sign off, any last words? Yeah, possibly I want to really thank God for the gift of life and uh, for the opportunities he's enabled us to do. And also pray for anyone who is... uh, trying to figure out what they can be in life. Mm. I really want to encourage them. Sometimes we dream of doing big things, but you need to start from where you are. Really, if you can stretch a hand to someone else, please do, wherever you are. Mm. No matter what, you may not get appreciated by that person or by the end person nearby, but that simple support will change someone's life. Mm. And I've come to realize there is nothing like a simple help a small gift, a small help. You may look at it as simple and small and you feel it's not worth it, please do it mm-hmm. because you don't know the kind of impact it carries in someone's life. I remember when I joined Coach Alozius, it was my first time in my entire life, you know, having grown out without a father. As a coach, he placed his hand on my shoulder as he was mm-hmm. addressing us. Mm-hmm. Little did he know what that meant to me. As simple as that, it changed my entire life. I got a place of belonging. Mm. I felt connected. So nothing can ever be taken for granted, even just a mere handshake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 